Life requires help. I'm reminded of this story. A news, newspaper once told the story of a mother of eight, a single mom of eight from Darling, Maryland, who when she returned home from work went into the living room where she saw five of her young children huddled around the center of the floor of the new carpet, very much involved in something wiggly and squirmy. The perplexed single mom looked closer as she got closer and closer to the group. She looked over in dismay to discover that the five children were gathered around a family of skunks. <laughs> in horror, the young mother screamed, Quick, children, run, run! To which each of the child grabbed a skunk and ran. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a joke really only a mom can fully understand. God has given us help today. God has given us, well, outside of God's word and outside of God's spirit for us today, God has given us one of the main forms to help us, relationships. People in our lives and other believers, in fact, that's really what the church is. It's a relationship group of people who are bound together through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, our first standing thought of our series is this. Relationships determine our ability to stand or continue. The Bible is all about relationships. That is how we know God, isn't it? We don't know him through a system of rituals or religious events. We know God through a relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. If you have that, say amen. amen. But also, the Bible's about marriage. And marriage is nothing more than a relationship. In fact, we are called and challenged to be helpmates to each other. In fact, the parent-child relationship, we are told not to just let them go and see what happens. We are told as parents to train up the child in the way they go, to spend time and nourish them like a plant. And friends? Well, friends, the Bible say, the Bible says in Proverbs, it says, iron sharpeneth iron. And so does the relationships or the friendship of a man. Iron sharpens iron. The Bible is all about relationships. But there are different types of relationships in the world. I, I want to use Jesus' illustration in Matthew chapter 7. I want to take it slightly out of context, but I want to use the basics of what he's talking about. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 basically says there's two types of relationships. There's a sand relationship and there's a rock relationship. Again, he's talking about more than relationships, about building your home. He's talking about building your, your need to know Christ as your Savior, your way to get to heaven. You're either standing on rock or you're standing on sand. And I want to slightly, I guess, take that out of a bit of a context here today. But I want to use this as an illustration. That Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, he'll say, Therefore, whosoever standeth, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. There are basically two different types of relationships you have. There's the rock relationship, 
that during difficult times is always there. And then there's the other type of relationship. There's the sand relationship. That when times get tough, when stress comes on the relationships, they fall completely apart. And by the way, just, just so I can stay on the same path with you, just so you understand, if you're leaning and standing on somebody on a rock relationship, the reason it's so strong is because that person is standing and leaning ultimately on the ultimate rock of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but the difference between the two are very clear. A sand relationship is quick pleasure. What gives me quick pleasure that I, that I could use? A rock relationship has long-term satisfaction. Um, you've been at maybe a, a, a uh, uh, marriage anniversary celebration of a couple of 50 years, and you've seen how that has lasted, and you watch that, and you think, how is that possible? May I suggest to you that there's a lot of good marriage advice out of there? There's a lot of good practical things. Sometimes the best advice I remember my mom said, just don't leave. <laughs> just, just don't leave. Or when there were seven kids, she would always joke and say, uh, the reason your mom, your father and I have stayed together because we made an agreement. Whoever left had to take the kids. <laughs> As I get older, I'm starting to realize I think she wasn't joking. But... <laughs> And I can suggest to you this, if you're a young couple, or if you're thinking about getting married, or if you're in a marriage and you think about, oh, I'm thinking about getting out of this, listen, the rock that long-term relationships have is on Jesus Christ. Secondly, sand relationships, well, they're self-pleasing. It's all about me. It's all about how I get, what I get out of this relationship. Listen, there's a difference in a rock and sand marriage. A sand marriage is all about what you do than I do. It's kind of like a contract, right? I have a contract with AT&T. I send them a ridiculous amount of money every month, and then they allow me to use their service as a cell phone, right? There's a contract. Once I stop, once I stop sending AT&T the money, they stop providing the service, right? And you want to know if you have a rock or a sand marriage? If your complaint about your husband is, I do this and he's not doing that, you have a sad relationship. If your complaint about your wife is, but I do this, I provide, I do this, and she should be doing this, you have a sad relationship. Because a sad relationship is all about self-pleasing about what I get out of it. But a rock relationship is all about other fulfillment. Maybe there's some great marriage advice. I'm kind of focusing on this a lot. I don't really want to know. Great marriage advice. You want to change your marriage? Every day get up and think, how can I bless this other person? You want to go even deeper? How can I worship Jesus by blessing my wife? Ooh. You say, I knew you'd get the whole Jesus in thing. Yeah. Get up tomorrow and ask yourself, how can I worship my Lord and Savior by taking care of my husband? It'll change your marriage really quickly. A sand relationship. A sand relationship requires payment. I have to give, I have to do. But a rock relationship, it gives blessings. A rock relationship is all about how can I help this other person? How can I take care? And by the way, I, I talked on marriage, but you know what? You want to change your relationship with you and your sister? Stop expecting things from your sister and start, expect, start realizing what can I do to help my sister? How can I worship Jesus by blessing my sister? Most people stay in sand relationships. So let me ask yourself, as you look at these, just a simple breakdown. Is your marriage sand or rock? 
Is your family, is your relationship with your daughter, is it sand or rock? Is the person you're dating, is it sand or rock? You know, the answer to these questions will determine your long-term viability of your relationship to sand. David in 1 Samuel chapter 20 has one of the greatest rock relationships in Jonathan. Nothing could come between them. Jonathan's whole focus is about protecting David. Without this sort of rock relationship, David would not be king. And the irony, I guess, the, the, the interesting fact of it is that Jonathan is Saul's son, and it is his father, Saul, who David will replace and ultimately replace Jonathan, but it's also his father, Saul, who's trying to kill David, and yet Jonathan stays committed to David. Today, as we talk about standing on shoulders, you did not come to be the person you are without someone helping you. Some rock relationship invested in you and changed you and helped you. In Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the Old Testament heroes of faith, right? Chapter 11, it's all the Old Testament heroes of faith. But as Paul, the author, I believe, of Hebrews, ends that chapter, in chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses. Meaning this, as he goes through chapter 11 and lists all those great Abraham, everybody, as he goes through all of this, he ends it by the next chapter by saying, we are standing on the shoulders of all of these great people. We are able to do what we can because of the faith of these amazing men and women that are listed in chapter 11. David is standing on the shoulders of Jonathan. He is running from his life, and at this point on, Everything David does in his life is because of Jonathan. Do you understand, Mom and Dad? Everything your kids do or become will become because of you. Now, that can be sound really good as we kind of approach graduation. If your son graduates more with honors and everything, you're like, that's my degree. But maybe that's also going to be real negative if some of the difficult things or embarrassing things your children have done also. They stand on our shoulders. A rock relationship is a building relationship. Look here in verse 1. And David fled from Naoth to Ramah and came and said, Before Jonathan, this is what he's saying to him. What have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before thy father? Why, why did he seeketh my life? It's a great question. And you know what? Saul doesn't really have the answer for this. He goes before it, and there are going to be events in your life. There are people in your life you will ask this question about. I, I ask it all the time of different people. What exactly did I do? How did I offend you? What exactly has it happened? Please tell me what it is. I'll be glad to apologize. See, everyone in here, you have some of it. You've got a sister-in-law, right? You've got that lady who married your son and took him away. Maybe that's part of the problem. Anyway, you've got a relationship, right? You might even have a boss. You might even have a coworker. It could be anyone. But it might be your wife, and she's just constantly <coughs> ugly and negative towards you. And you're like, what did I do? You know what the only response many people have? You were bored. <laughs> Let me just say this to you. You can't fix those people. You can't fix their hatred. You can't fix the ugliness that's going on inside of them. You cannot fix people. You know what you can do? You can, be, you can be accountable for how you respond to people. Don't worry about the people who hate you, if it seems like, for no reason. Jesus said there'd be people like that. Mama told me there'd be babies like this. Anyway, <laughs> a little flashback right here. See if you're awake. But anyways, you can't focus on those people. David's making a bit of a mistake here. 
Don't focus on why job, why Saul hates you. Just focus on doing the right thing and doing what God told you to do. By the way, a lot of you, that would free up your Facebook time. And after September 11th, there were certain groups of people. Why do they hate us? Why do they? Because we exist. That's why they hate us. There's nothing you can do about that. David, just do what God has called you to do. I want to show you the difference about how Jonathan takes care of David here, though. In a building relationship, if you're taking notes, number one, a building relationship, protection is clearly defined. Look at verse 2. And he said unto him, God forbid that thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it to me. And why should my father hide these things from me? It is not so. Boundaries and discipline. Children crave boundary and discipline. A little boy had finished his summer vacation and gone back to school. Two days later, his teacher phoned his mother to tell him all of his misbehaving and everything he was doing wrong. Wait a minute, said the mom. I had him for three months, and I never called you when he misbehaved. It's <laughs> a good point, teachers, but anyway. Children crave them. We understand that. But boundaries give us three things. Boundaries give us security. It's, it's where we can be safe. Boundary gives us guidelines. This is how you're supposed to act. This is how you conduct yourself. You know what? Boundaries also give us opportunities. In verse 2... Jonathan gives a clear boundary for David. God forbid thou shalt not die. That's a pretty good boundary. No matter what happens, David, I guarantee you this. You won't die. As a believer, my boundaries are set. Because I have this building relationship in Jesus. He is my rock, and he gives me boundaries. You see, if you've never experienced a rock relationship in this earthly life, it becomes very difficult. And that's why this generation that we are raising right now has a very difficult time with facts and has a very difficult time with relationships that have restrictions. Because when you're raised, maybe a divorced home or maybe just some parents who want to be your best friend, when you've been raised to told that you're number one and you get a participation trophy for showing up, when you've been raised that everything you do is great, when then you come to the word of God and God starts off by saying, first of all, you're a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm really good. My mom says I'm super. God starts off by saying, you're a sinner. And if you want to correct it, this is what you have to do. And after you correct it, you are now no longer yours. You are a slave. Paul says, a bondservant. You are a slave to me. And here's what I expect for you to do. If you've never had that relationship from a father or a mother, this is, that's the reason why so many of them have a difficult time when a police officer pulls them over. Nobody ever tells me I'm wrong. Nobody ever tells me I can't do what I want. Boundaries and guidelines are a huge part of the Christian life. And the reason I submit, the reason I submit to the boundaries in this book is because I know Christ is my personal Savior. Yeah. And by the way, you want to know if you're truly saved? You want to know? <clears throat> when someone says, thus saith the Lord, do you shut down or do you light up? Now, let me ask you this about boundaries. All right? A little practical right here. What boundaries do you have in your marriage? This isn't in your notes. These are just questions for you. I have rules. I've had people, I've had people in this church mock me for the rules. Don't care. 
been married 25 years, I'm going to be 26 years, and still hoping because of my wounds. Yeah. I don't ride in cars alone with babies. I don't hug women in my age group. Now somebody just went, wait, he hugs me. <laughs> <laughs> I get just insulted, you know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't spend, as, I spend, I limit, sometimes it's hard to do, but I limit the access I have alone in this building, in any building, with someone in my age group that's not married to me. I don't have accounts that my wife can't read or look at, whether it be my Facebook, my email, or my text message. <coughs> Let me ask you this right now. What do you put up? What are the guidelines? What are the rules? What are the barriers? I don't care. Whatever you want to call it. You call it whatever works best in your mind. What do you have in your marriage? If you don't have any of these rules or any guidelines in your marriage, I'm telling you right now, your marriage will not succeed. How about money? Does one person just get to spend money without having to talk to the other person and be accountable for what they do? Oh, that was a good thing. What boundaries do you have for money? What will you spend your money on? What do you is tithing a factor in your life? Is giving to other people? Say, well, see, pastors, you just want our money. Okay, this is what I'd like you to do. Okay, fine. Don't give to open woods. God owns a cow on a thousand hills, and if we need money, he'll slaughter some of those cows for us. Okay? Don't do this. Then try this. Try giving and being a generous person to other people. Find a young couple, maybe in your church, maybe your neighbor, and find out what their needs are and give to them. What boundaries do you have with your money? Is your money, is your checkbook everything about you, what you want to do for you, 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 and you? That's probably the reason why you overspend. What boundaries do you have for possible addictions? I know many of you in here, Pastor, I'm 75 years old. I'm not going to start heroin. I totally understand that, but some of you need to delete your Amazon account. Ooh, right? CBS, home shopping, right? See, I never get amens on those things. But if I, if I talk about, you know, getting drunk, oh, amen, Pastor Steve. Using heroin, amen, Pastor Steve. Shopping too much, you are now meddling. <laughs> <laughs> what boundaries do you have for possible addictions? You know, no one starts off a shopaholic. No one starts off to become an alcoholic. No one starts off to be a heroin addict. No one starts off. But if you have no boundaries and guidelines, can, can I just say this to your parents? Parents, I've talked with drug counselors. I've talked with Oakland County Sheriff's. I ask them all the same question. I get the same thing. Anyone who's been using the hard drugs and heroin and everything else, I said, do all of them smoke marijuana? And they were like, no, not all of them smoke marijuana. Okay. Did all of them drink beer? I said, yes. I said, so is it possible to make the assumption that beer is the first drug that any addict will have? I had an Oakland County Sheriff, not St. Mary, look at me and go, I never thought of that. His parents, how about putting up boundaries in life and just not have alcohol in your home? You say, well, pastor, we need it to unwind. You know what I find that most alcohol is a crutch for being lazy? I can't have fun if I'm not drunk. Maybe you need to invest in your life and read a book and become an interesting person. You're meddling again, Pastor. I'm just trying to save your family. A building relationship is a rock relationship that can be defined. Jonathan says, this is what I will do for you. I promise this. What are you promising to do for your wife today, for your kids? Those of you that aren't married, what are you promising today to do for your future wife? Maybe you haven't even met her. Today, get under the right relationship 
Get saved, know Christ as your personal Savior. Get under God's authority and God's boundaries and watch how God protects you and the people you love. Number two, in a building relationship, grace is freely given. Look at verse three. And David swore more and said, My father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. Look at this, I, I, just this interesting phrase that David says there. I have found grace in thine eyes. Why is grace and eyes so often put together in the Bible? This is my opinion. Feel free to disagree, but this is my opinion. Grace requires you to see something there. That, see something that... Grace requires you to see something not there, but could be. Thank you. Boy, that was hard to get out with <laughs> Grace requires you to see something there that's not there, basically. God saw me as a sinner. He saw my sin and everything. But he saw what I could be if I knew Christ as my personal Savior. He saw what I could be if someone died for me. He saw what I could be if he sent his own son to die for me. Grace stepped in and saw me as a sinner, but said, you know what? This person can be redeemed. Amen? Amen. If you're going to have any type of strong building relationship, you're going to have to give grace freely. You're going to have to see people for what they could be. You say, but pastor, do you see what I am married to? <laughs> Look at him. And you know my reply is this. Were you forced to marry him? Well, no. Then what kind of a nut job would marry a man like that? <laughs> right? You come into my office and say, my, my husband's this, 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 and this. And I'll ask you, was he this way before you got married? Yes. Why did you marry him then? I've actually had wives do this because I've flipped it out of them and said, man, he is horrible. He's this, this, and this. You're right. What a horrible slouch. I cannot believe this person's allowed to breathe. Wait a second. That's my husband you're talking about. You're the one that just gave me the reasons to dislike him. If you're going to have these relationships, you have to see what the person could be. You have to see what you're, who you're married to, who he could be. Ladies, men are so easy. You have, there's books written on you that about how to talk, deal with men and everything else. Men are so easy. You don't need Oprah, you don't need a book. Here's how you deal with men, ego. Just ego, lift him up with your words. Talk about all the positive things. You say, all he does is sit there on the couch and watch TV. Well, then you go to him and say, sweetheart, I am so glad you are doing such a great job of counteracting the loss of gravity by holding down the couch. <laughs> no one changes channels better than you. You're amazing at it. Those batteries go dead and you flip them out. I have never seen anything like that. You're some of you ladies like, that's not gonna work. Men are so easy to manipulate, especially by the woman they love. Simple words of encouragement. You start at the basic and encourage him. You say, well, he's not in shape he used to be, but he's in a shape, right? You just go put your arms around him and say, you know, baby, there's just more of you to love. That is just so wonderful. You start lifting him up with your words, and your husband will be what you're encouraging to be. You say, how do you know that's true? Because my wife does it to me all the time. <laughs> Ladies, men are easy. Men, women, good luck. Anyways, I don't figure it out. Anyways, but seriously, now, every time I say something like that, there's a balancing act that has to be placed. Just, just be, remember when I talk about forgiveness and everything else, forgive people, and there's a balancing act. There are some really 
dangerous people that might be in your life, okay? Don't bring back somebody who's abusive, that's done some horrible stuff. That's not what I'm saying. Forgive them, move on. They can't be any better than they are. You need to let God change them, okay? So don't, you have to have clear vision, right? Mom, mom, you have to have clear vision about who your son really is. Dad, you have to have clear vision about who your mom, who your daughter really is. And look and see who they really are sometimes. Because sometimes there's some destructive, dangerous things. And, you know, that's why you'll see people that, that sweet grandma and grandpa's have really good intentions. They really do. But yet they let these drug addicts come and move in their house. And at the end of a couple months, they're like, stuff is starting to disappear and things are gone. I know you're trying to help, but sometimes you just have to have clear vision of who a person really is. Do you understand the balancing act? Amen? See, some of you are going to pick up a hitchhiker on the side of the road. He's got a bloody knife and everything and a shirt that says, I kill for breakfast, right? And you're going to pick him up because the pastor says, I should see who he is. There's a, there's a future senator. You know, that's, that's a good man, and I should pick him up. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm talking about giving your husband some grace. See, all right, back to my message. When do we first realize we need grace? Look at verse 3 again. But truly as the Lord liveth, and as the soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. David's saying, death is one step behind me. When we usually realize we need grace is when we're about to die. Nothing gets your attention more. Nothing makes you want to seek out Jesus more when you realize I'm going to die. And I've had people say, well, you shouldn't use the fact that everyone will die and you'll have to spend eternity in heaven or hell as a way to reach people for Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you this something right now. The reason I got saved is because I didn't want to die and spend an eternity in hell. I don't know why you got saved, but I got saved out of that fear. Fear can sometimes be a very good motivator. Amen? The man wants to marry my daughter. And I said, okay, but here's the son. This is what I require. This is what I expect out of you. And I said, I'm not joking. You need to understand this. If you hurt my daughter, if you do something, I will bury you in a field. So it's not a joke. That is a promise to you. Why? Because I want that fear of this. Keep that young man in line when he marries my daughter. Amen? Yeah. Fear can be a good thing. Sure. And every, all right, back here. I just got off track. Oh, yeah, really wandering today, Jerry. Every building relationship needs to give grace daily. I'll give you an illustration of, of grace. Um, I'm going to be forming a wedding in the next week, and I do this often. Here in the building, I do weddings for people who are living together and have kids. <coughs> Most of the time, they're living together, they have kids, and they don't have any money, and they usually go, well, there's either here or we go down, and we go down to the Justice of the Peace or go down to the courthouse. And as I say that, some of you might be shocked. Pastor Steve, why would you do a, a wedding for somebody who's living together? Why would you do a wedding for people who have children out of wedlock? Well, let me just ask you, what should they do? They should get married. Somebody's got to do it. And our building is not holy. Your life is holy. This is just a building. This carpet that's right here that sometimes a bride who has children walks down is not holy. You say, well, why would you do that? Well, number one, it gives me an opportunity to give on the gospel. I never have them. There's no reason. I don't do that when I tell them. I'll be glad to do it, but I'd like to. I'm going to talk about Jesus. As long as I can talk about Jesus, I don't charge. If you're going to tell me I can't talk about Jesus, it's $5,000 a word. 
So let's make up your mind. Let's do it as an opportunity that I would never have to talk to them about Jesus. I always tell them fatherly advice, just a fatherly advice. Sometimes they think I'm being Catholic with them, but I just say fatherly advice. I would suggest between now and to the time you get married, you stop living as man and wife. One of you either move out or one of you move to the basement. That's just a father's advice. I think that would be the best thing to do. Unless I do that, I never have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Yeah. You know the second reason why I do it? Is I'm hoping someday when I make huge mistakes, when I do things wrong, that somebody will give me grace also. Yeah. <coughs> Pastor preaches to me. A little grace. Pastor touches on my toes and jumps up and down and hurts my feelings. How about a little grace? Right? I'm hoping that when it's my turn, when I have issues, when I struggle, when I make poor decisions, I'm hoping somebody else will come along with grace. And you know what's amazing? This is amazing. Every time I do it, they're always shocked. They have a preconceived notion that me as a Bible-believing preacher or Baptist preacher and stuff would never do it. And they always have these ideas. And I said, I'll be glad to do it. As long as I can talk about Jesus, I'll be glad to help you out. I say, every bride, every woman deserves to have a nice wedding. Maybe that's not true, but I say it anyway. And they're always shocked. Really? Yeah. Well, we don't have any money. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay me. Really? Well, we don't. I'll help you out. Treat them with dignity, treat them with respect. Because when I screw up, that's how I want to be. Ma'am, give your husband some grace. Sir, give your son some grace. Give him a chance to make the right decisions. See, I want us to be a church of people who are perfect. The perfect people church is down the road. It's the big empty field with no building and nobody meets there. Because that's where perfect people go, because there are no perfect people. You get what I'm saying? I want us to be a church of flawed people who love people enough to tell them the truth. Who love people enough to show them God's grace. Amen? Yeah. You see, you can be both. You can be a truth giver, and you can also be a grace giver. When you need grace, you're going to want it. Number three, a building relationship needs are openly met. Jonathan says this in verse four. Then said Jonathan to David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. There's a great book uh, entitled His Needs, Her Needs. If you're looking for some marriage advice, there's a lot of good stuff. It's a Christian. It's called His Needs and Her Needs. It's a good book for. Uh, but needs are openly met in a rock relationship. That's how Jonathan is with David. What is your need? What do you need? Not, not what is your want, by the way. A lot of people in relationships have wants. They think they're needs. That's not want. What is your need? Uh, you know, sir, maybe your wife comes from a very dysfunctional father relationship. Maybe she's having some issues with it. Maybe she needs you to be very tender on some issues and very supportive on some issues. Man, maybe your husband comes from a place where his mom told him negative things repeatedly and he doesn't feel very strong about himself. Maybe he needs you to lift up him and tell him that he could be something great. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe she just needs a bigger diamond. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> 
one get one. <laughs> what Jonathan is doing for David is telling him everything you need, I'm going to provide for you. Not one. Everything that you need for safety, everything you need for encouragement, everything you do. And from this point on, everything David does is because of Jonathan. There are people in our life that have done this for us. Throw all three back up there, would you? Real quick, three. There are people in our life who have brought protection to us. They brought boundaries. They defined everything. They, they, sometimes maybe they were our parents. We didn't like it at the time, but we look back on it. I mean, I teased my mom about being raised crazy and stuff like this, but I would tell you something. I wouldn't trade the way I was raised for anything. I thank God that I had a mother and father who cared enough about me to keep so much garbage from the world out of my life. I talk to men all the time, and they tell me the things that they had experienced when they were 17 or 13 and everything. There were things so far and foreign from my experience, and I thank God I had parents who had enough love in me and enough determination to put boundaries and rules in my life to make me who I am. I'm glad that my parents saw that. I come from a long line of alcoholics. I'm glad that they had no alcohol in my home. I'm glad that they made that a huge barrier in my life. And because of that, right now, I am free from that addiction. Now, she didn't help me with potatoes, but she helped me with that. <laughs> she force-fed those potatoes down an Irishman, and that's not a good combination. I'm glad grace was given freely. I have a... Uh, I have people in my life that, uh, I, I started this tradition and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> pastor Kidd, who I talk about often, was my pastor growing up. Uh, he, has, he had uh, some seizures and some issues along that line. So he had to retire in, in his 70s from being a full-time pastor. And I wrote him this letter after, and I was a student pastor at the time. And stuff. I wrote him this letter and I just thanked him. I said, thank you for being faithful to the word of God. Thank you for demonstrating what a godly man is supposed to be and backing up everything my parents taught. And I, and I said, thank you. Thank you for giving me a chance. And I made that a practice in my life to write letters. And I, I wrote a letter to another man who was in that same church. And uh, he's, uh, he's a deacon, but he was my youth pastor, basically. And he's just, he's my brother's father-in-law now, which is really cool and stuff. <coughs> and uh I wrote him that letter, and I, I, I was reminded of this, I said, you know, I've got to write another letter. And I'm glad I had these conversations with people that I've gone through and said, because you know what? Uh, when Steve Sheridan went forward to First Baptist of Washington to surrender the ministry, there was not a big, wow. It was more of a, really? <laughs> it was more of a, oh, we thought he was going forward to get saved, because that would explain a few things. But I had men in my life who gave grace to me who when everybody else would have said, not him, allow me to minister, allow me to do things. <clears throat> the gentleman who I wrote this letter to just a few months ago, I mean, he knows so much about me. He literally had to stop me from destroying another human being. I was going to take this guy's head off, and I was he was holding me back, and he whispered in my ear, he goes, Stephen, By the way, that's the name my wife called me. And I stopped, and he has every reason to believe every negative thing anyone else ever said about me. 
many years ago, he called me up and said, I want to come here to preach. And I preached. He said, I just want to hear one of my boys preach. And he came, and he sat like in the second row and everything. And afterwards, he just came in a few times. He said, I knew you could do this. See, a rock relationship meets those type of needs. They see things in people who no one else sees, and they give grace to them, and they lift them up, and they give them an opportunity. I stand here every time I preach. I stand on the shoulders of brave men and women who gave a chance to me where nobody else would. Everyone in here, there's someone in your life who has done all three things for you. It could be a mom, it could be a pastor, it could be a, a deacon, it could be a Sunday school teacher. And what I would like for you to do, all right, there's two parts to my invitation here. Number one, if you're here and uh, you're not sure if you're doing the right thing, okay? You're a grandparent, you're not sure how they're turning out, you're like, oh my gosh, this is not what I thought it would be. You're not sure if you're doing the right thing. I want to reconfirm, and I would like you to recommit to doing what God wants you to do. Even if your grandkids, even if your parents don't like it, even if your kids don't like it. Amen? Amen. That's the first part. I want you to recommit. I want you to double down on Jesus. But if you're here, and I think this is every person in here, I would like you to make a commitment to writing a letter to somebody who is just the shoulder you're standing on. They have blessed you, they have helped you. You were here today because of that person. And what I'd also like to do during our invitation, musicians come forward. Gary, Debbie, Miss Cassie, Miss Kay. I want you to come forward. I want you to leave today committed to doing what God wants you to do, even if your family doesn't like it, right? Amen? Amen? Amen. I want you to leave today committed that you're going to write a letter, you're going to make a phone call, you're going to post FaceTime somebody, you're going to do something, post something on your Facebook wall, you're going to tell somebody a simple thing, it could be a long thing, you're going to thank that individual for being who they are, for taking care of you, for loving you. This is perfect for the week after Mother's Day, for pretty much almost all of us in here, that should be something for our moms, Amen. And what I'd like you to do today that is going to be weird, and it might be a complete failure, okay? Because I realize this is not something most of us are normal to do. Here you go, here. What I would like you to do during our invitation, if you'd like to come forward and know Jesus, I'll be here, I'd love to show you. If you'd like to pray and talk about something, it could be a relationship, it could be something completely under the test results, whatever, completely under the nobody thought you come forward. But what I would like you to do during our invitation I would like for you, in this room, if there's a person in this room who has encouraged you, and if you're married, that's you. If your parents are in here, that's you. If there's a person in here who has encouraged you and blessed you, and you are standing on their shoulders, I would like for you to go over and thank that person in their face. Shake a hand, give them a hug, and just walk over. It could be somebody. Who's gone through very difficult things. And he's handled it wonderfully. And I'm very proud that you're my friend. Thank you, Ms. Chelsea. It could be somebody in this room who you have watched their life 
And you have seen how they have been faithful to God, and they have encouraged you because you realize if they can go through what they've gone through, you can make it too. This is very awkward, isn't it? But I want you to thank somebody whose shoulders you're standing on today. And I have to believe that at least half of you have somebody in this room today. Would you stand with me today? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. And Father, thank you for doing it through putting people in our lives. Look, sometimes there are people who have never said a word and they are examples, Lord. So thank you, Lord, for those people who have quietly served you. Father, some of them are in this room and some of us need to write them a letter, need to make a phone call, need to tell them, even if it's a simple thank you for being you. I am what I am because of people like you. Some of us might need to write a long, long letter. But Father, in this room, I can't help but believe that there's for us, for some of us, there's people in this room, especially if we're married, especially if they're our parents, who have been something in our life. It could be small, it could be great. Father, help us to have the courage to just simply say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the people you've put in my life, the relationships I've had that allow me to 